0: We're glad you're here with us this morning, this afternoon, this evening, (laughs) celebrating with you. And my gift for you this morning uh, is a short sermon. You're welcome. Don't applause, just throw money. If you're part of our family, you know we've been studying the gospel according to Luke. We're in chapter 3 where he went through that Christmas story in that gospel account. Uh, We do expository preaching. We preach through books of the Bible here. Um, So we're going to look at Matthew chapter to uh, briefly look at that story of Christmas, and I want to, just for a few moments, consider three characters and their three responses to the birth of Christ. Three responses representing really three different ways that people approach God. And those three characters uh, in Matthew chapter 2 are Herod the king, the Jewish leaders of that day, and finally, the wise men from the east, whom I will now warmly refer them to as the wise guys. It's an Italian thing. So let's see, number one, let's see King Herod in the opposition. Of King Herod. Notice with me in verses 1 through 3, if you have your Bible or an app, open it up, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And notice with me in verses 1 through 3, when the wise guys told King Herod that they saw the rise of the star of the king of the Jews, they had come to worship him, but Herod was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. You see, King Herod was used to doing whatever King Herod wanted to do. He was obviously threatened by someone that's been called now king of the Jews. So he gathered all the religious leaders of that day, uh, all the Jewish religious of that day, and they, he inquired, where was Christ to be born? Not, not so that he can worship him, but that he would kill him. You see, Herod was a cruel man. He was a crafty man and permitted no one not even his own family to interfere with his rule or to prevent the the satisfying of his evil desires even had his own wife and two brothers murdered as he suspected them of treason and what I read uh, this week that it was actually his favorite wife so I don't I don't you're gonna kill someone you might as well be not least favorite not that we should kill I love my wife Herod, I, I don't know, he, 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 was, he, he married nine times, He political uh, ties around his marriages, he did whatever it took. And what we want to look at and what we want to say about King Herod this evening is his response to Jesus, what we would call irreligion. People who want to be their own king, their own savior, their own lord, and do whatever they see fit. Irreligious people seek to be their own lord and their own saviors through the rejection of any kind of religion, rules, or regs. No one tells me what to do. No one tells me how to live. I determine what's right and wrong for me. And it was King Herod's failure to humble himself and allowed pride to get in the way and his arrogance that came in between him and the Savior. Proverbs 16 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And King Herod became so angry at the possibility that there would be a king greater than himself. It says in verse 16 of chapter 2, he became furious and sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the regions who were two years old and under. Now, I would like to believe that anybody, everyone in this room would would say, you know what, that's a, a bad, not very good response and approach to the good news of the birth of Jesus, right? We all would say that. But let's think about this for a moment. What prideful attitude has kept you or kept me this year, from bowing our knee and worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. How many times has God maybe come to us through his word, through a, through a messenger, but would you rather kill the thought of bowing our knee, bowing our heart to God? You see, Herod had this attitude who is this king? I, I'm the only king. Who does this Jesus really think he is? It was Blaise Pascal, a famous. 15th century mathematician and follower of Christ, a philosopher also, he said this, knowing God without knowing our own wretchedness makes for pride. Knowing our own wretchedness without knowing God makes for despair. But knowing Jesus Christ strikes the balance because he shows us both God, and I believe he means his love and grace, and our own wretchedness, end quote. You see, before we embrace the good news of the gospel, we must know what the bad news is. That our sin has separated us from a holy God. But the good news is God's love and God's forgiveness can be experienced. Because it was granted to us, given to us through the, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is on the cross where Jesus died as our substitute. Paying the penalty for our sin. Bearing our sin and rising from the dead. And now love and forgiveness can be experienced. So don't let Christmas, don't let your pride, excuse me, keep you from humbly responding to God's love and forgiveness this Christmas season. It was the famous theologian John Lennon who said Christianity will go, it will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue with that. I'm right, I'll be proven right. We're more popular than Jesus now. I'm not sure which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity, end quote. Then John Lennon died, met Jesus, and said, yeah, I shouldn't have said that, right? Don't respond to Christ this Christmas with pride or self-justification, self-actualization. That will keep you from Jesus, keep you from approaching God, having a relationship with God. That was the problem with Herod. But now look at the religious leaders. The The next characters in our stories are the chief priest and the scribe. They were the moral ones. They kept the letter of the law. Notice, they told Herod what the scripture said, verse 5, that the Messiah, the king of the Jews, will be born in Bethlehem of Judea, just like Micah said hundreds of years before Christ came in chapter 5, verse 2 of Micah, the prophet. And that's what's quoted here in Matthew 2, 6. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. But then what did the religious leaders do? Nothing. Nothing. There was an indication that the Messiah had come. Now there's silence. They knew where he would be born. They even told Herod where it would be. But then they went back to business as usual, back to being religiously good. You see, most of the people in the world believe that if you want to relate to God, be accepted by God, it's by being good and obeying the moral code. All religions are really based on that. If I do what is right, I can have a relationship with God. And these were religious, Bible thumping people, leaders. They had taken the law and and, and, and and perfected its application to the point of strangling people by their man-made rules. And the problem they had, and the problem all people have who think that the right way to approach God is by doing and living rightly, following the golden rule, is the issue of sin. God is holy, as I said. He cannot and will not embrace sin. He will not allow sin to enter into his presence. In fact, these religious leaders were on Jesus' radar. In fact, he rebuked these uh, leaders uh, more than any other group. You see, their pride was not, I'll do whatever I want. You don't tell me what to do. But their pride was, I am more moral, I am more spiritual than all the other people, so God owes me right? He, he owes me heaven when I die. He owes me a good life. He owes me a happy life to answer my prayers. I've earned it. The religious people approach God is, your good outweighs your bad, and therefore God will accept you. As long as you do certain things a certain way, and maybe every once in a while, you know, help those in, uh, the sinners and those in, in, in destitute, as long as you're not, I'm not one of them, and then the scales are weighed, and I'm accepted. But the Bible says there is no one righteous, no, not one. The Bible says that if we break one, just one command of God, we're guilty of them all. And here's the deal. The irreligious people, like King Herod of our day, reject Jesus because he's a threat to your power, to your rulership over your own life. And the religious leaders then and now reject Jesus because when you look at him in all his glory and beauty and majesty, it exposes our sin and, it, and it, it's humbling Utterly humbling. You see, there are two responses here and two approaches to God. One is self-actualization, self-realization, do as I want, and the other one is moral performance. But when we get to the wise guys, we see the proper way. Matthew makes it clear in verse 1 and 2, they came to Jerusalem, they saw the star. Don't want to burst your bubble, but (laughs) the Magi's probably weren't kings. I know we sing that song, we three kings, probably not. Magi, some of the scriptures have Magi, some wise men, comes from the Greek word, we get our word magician, and they appear all over the place at Christmas, don't they? The Magi were an ancient people. They were priests from the Medes and the Persians uh, on the east of where Israel is. They were highly educated men. They were trained in philosophy. They were trained in, in education, in history, religion, prophecy, astronomy, astrology, dream interpretations. But a lot, lot of what we see about the Magi these days really isn't accurate. Like I said, they probably weren't kings. They may have been advisors to the kings, but they weren't kings. We also know that there was probably more than three. You see it in all the Christmas cards and all the different stories. Three because of three gifts. I'm sure there were more. And finally, I, I hate to burst your bubble again, but they weren't there with the shepherds and the manger on that first Christmas morning. Look what it says. Verse 11, they were at a house. Jesus was older. Herod wanted to kill boys two years and under. We're not sure how old it was or how long it was, but it was later on. But one thing we know for sure about the Magi, about the wise guys, we know why they came and why they went the 1,000-mile journey across the desert. We know that for sure. Look at verse 11. And going into the house... They saw the child with his mother Mary, fell down, worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh. Here's these magi going to see King Herod, finding out where the star and give him no worship. And the contrast is they find this baby boy, this young child, these educated, intelligent men fall flat on their face, prostrated before him. What Herod craved, you see, Jesus received. When at last they found this child, this one born king of the Jews, they bring him gifts, gifts of gold, it was royalty, gift for a king, precious metal, beauty, value, appropriate royal gift. As these men from Persia, from the East, acknowledge the rule and the reign of King Jesus. Then they give him frankincense. Frankincense was used in the Jewish temple It was mixed with some other compounds and was used for a sacrifice, an incense used for sacrifices and for prayers. It was blended in one of the meal offerings as an offering and thanksgiving in praise to God. What a sacrifice. And I don't even think they fully understood it all that when they gave him gold for the king, they gave him frankincense, they were acknowledging his reign and rule, and they were acknowledging his high priestly office. God who became man, who lived that perfect life, was pleasing to the Father as incenses going up in prayers in a temple. Lastly, they presented him myrrh, aromatic gum, resin from a tree. It was used to, to put in in bedding, and it was used. It says in, in um, Esther chapter two, make the ladies desirable. It smelled very nice. It was mixed in Mark 15 with, with anesthetic mixed with wine and water. Finally, myrrh is also used to bury you, to wrap bodies in the mummies. Uh, excuse me, the Egyptians used it to mummify their people. But what I want you to see this evening is that this Christmas story, this Christmas story reflects the gospel, reflects the good news of Christ. Verse 2 says that God supernaturally placed a star in the sky so that the wise men would follow it. It caught the wise men's attention. God pursues these wise guys that ultimately began that journey. But it wasn't the star, notice it wasn't the star that ultimately brought the wise men, the wise guys to Jesus, it was the star that pointed to the scripture in Micah. He'll be born in Bethlehem. And after the king told them what the scripture said and sent them on their way to Bethlehem, verse 8, of course the star went before them, it went before them and led them, to where Jesus is. And Matthew is trying to tell you this, this evening, tell me this evening, one simple thing. You don't find God, God finds you. you. You and I need the king of kings to reveal himself to us. You see, to conjure up in our own thoughts, our own minds, our own ideas about salvation, a proper response, a, a, a how we approach God... How to be accepted by God is really your own imagination, your own uh, motivation, your own speculations, what I am. What we need to know God is God to reveal himself as he does to these wise men. God revealing himself through his word. You're not here by accident tonight, I'm going to tell you. The very fact that God sent his son into the world shows us that he reached out to you First, before you reach out to him. God loves you and God's in pursuit of you. Like the wise guys knew that. They knew that it was God that was leading them. They knew that God was, was drawing them to the child. And look what it says when they come to Christ the king. That they, what? Rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. God did for them what they could not do for themselves. And they are joyful, recedingly of great joy. That they would pay homage and worship the king of kings who will die not only for the Jewish people, but will bring salvation to all peoples, tongues, tribes, and nations. True worship is not just humbling, bowing before Christ. Look what it says. It's about doing it joyfully. Look at me again in verse 11. And let me ask you a question. What came first here? Worship or the gifts? Was worship. Why? Because there's nothing we can bring to God that lets us in, opens the door, gives us access, somehow makes our response to worship acceptable. It's only by God's grace. You see, that is the gospel. We come to God because God first came to us. The wise guys, before they gave Jesus what they had in their hands, they first gave them worship, their hearts. They fell down. Then they opened their treasures. And let me tell you, the Magi saw beyond the present day into the future, and in deep faith, they worshiped him. They knew, they knew that one day Christ will reign and rule as king, and they weren't ashamed, and they just fell and worshiped him. There's one last thing I want us to see tonight, and I don't want you to miss this. In the gospel, according to John, the apostle writes in chapter 19, verse 39, that after Jesus died, his body, his body was wrapped in linen along with 75 pounds of myrrh. Do you see what that gift is pointing to? The child was born to die. Matthew chapter 1, the angel Gabriel comes to Joseph and says, Listen, Joseph, take Mary to be your wife, for she shall. Bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, meaning God's salvation, for he, Jesus, shall save his people from their sins. Family and friends, gold was given, pointing to his majesty as the king of kings. Frankincense pointed to his praise as our God and our high priest. Myrrh pointed to his humanity, for he was destined to suffer and to die. And Jesus goes from the cradle to the cross so that we can respond to him by faith. Jesus goes from the cradle to the cross so that we can approach God. God guided them by the star. God gave them his word. God fulfilled his promise in what he said. God is in pursuit of you today. In fact, when Jesus Christ died on the cross 30-something years later, in the temple In Jerusalem, there was a giant curtain that protected the Holy of Holies where the presence and the Shekinah glory of God dwelt and sinful man. And when Jesus died, that temple uh, curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying access in. Access in to the very presence of God. It is unmistakable. That the sacrifice of Christ was accepted and now we can have entrance into the presence of God. He made it available through the work of Jesus. Access, accessibility for sinners to approach a holy God. Now listen. Irreligion says I want to be my own God. I want to be my own savior. Religion says I will work hard. I will obey the rules and then God will love and accept me. The gospel, the good news, is I'm a sinner who deserves judgment, but because Jesus, the Lamb of God, without blemish, without sin, obeys the rules perfectly in my stead and dies as a substitute for my sins, and now I can have a relationship with God. The proper response to God is faith, and the only approach to God, listen, is through Jesus Christ the Lord. No, Christianity is different than any other religion. God coming to us, not our ability to reach him. The wise men sought the Lord because the Lord had sought them. They found him, they worshipped him, and they presented him gifts, even a gift for his burial. And one final act of self-sacrifice, Christ fulfills the mission the Father sent them on by dying on the cross in our place, bearing our sins in judgment and wrath, the wrath of God against our sin. That's the gospel. I am loved, I'm accepted, I can approach a holy God, I can respond to God in faith and obedience because of Jesus' perfect obedience and atoning death on the cross. That is the gospel. It's a matter of grace. It's a matter of grace. And then Jesus rises from the dead three days later, showing himself to his disciples, many many convincing proofs, and then ascends to heaven, and one day he'll return, taking his rightful place when he returns as redeemer and judge. Friends, God wants your life before he wants your gifts. Look what it says in verse 12, and we'll close here. The wise guys were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, so they departed to their own country by another way. What a beautiful picture of the gospel when the gospel changes a life. When the gospel changes a life. When you come face to face with the love and the grace and the mercy of God, you don't go back the same way. When you see your sinfulness and you recognize your, 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 your only hope is in the mercy of God, it changes you. Family and friends, this Christmas, don't respond to Jesus like King Herod, full of pride, self-realization, self-justification, trying to be your own Lord and Savior. This Christmas, don't respond to Jesus like the religious leaders, thinking, I'm good enough. I'm going to outweigh those scales. Let's be honest, we're not. Look at the perfection of Jesus, we are not. This Christmas, respond like the wise guys. (laughs) They believe that God revealed himself through his word. And by grace through faith, they fell on their knees and worshiped him as the king of kings, lord of lords, who would die as an atonement for their sins. So let me ask you this evening, how will you respond to Jesus? What is your approach to God? Is it trying to do everything you could possibly do? Is it just ignoring him as if it's not uh, real, has never happened? Or will we respond in faith, trusting and believing that one day we'll stand before him and yet we could say Jesus paid the price in full. He lived the life I could never live. He died that atoning death in my place for my sins. Respond this evening to Christ. Trust him, rest on him, run to him and place your faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, this Christmas. Can we bow our heads and pray? Father, I think we all can see ourselves in one of these three approaches. And Father, we pray that there's someone here That would see the two ways is, is just not proper, not right, and has eternal consequences. And God, we pray that your spirit right now would work in our hearts. That your spirit would show us our sin and show us your forgiveness. If you're here tonight, you've never trusted Christ. Through the quietness of your own soul, trust him now. Rely upon him now. Acknowledge your sin, turn from it, and rest in the finished, atoning work of Jesus and follow him all the days of your life. And Father, we thank you for these, this Christmas story as we see the truth of the gospel lived out with these wise guys who have, by faith, trusted you. We pray, Father, that we will not leave this place without placing our and resting our faith and trust in you alone. Thank you for this time that we could celebrate the birth of Jesus. And God, we pray that you would continue to help us to worship you in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.